0: I remember going from junior high to high school small group at my church and I knew these high school guys but they usually didn't say talk to me you know it was like I didn't exist even though we grew up together and I went from the junior high to the high school group and I walked in the room and I didn't know where to sit and one of the high school students said Aaron and he went like this and pointed to the chair next to him and that was so cool and we became lifelong friends. When I think about unity, I think about that's the type of posture God wants us to have in the kingdom of God. Where we see people and we say, hey, come sit by me. You know, come have a conversation with me. Let me listen to you. Let me know who you are. And that is what the kingdom of God is about. You know, because welcoming people or accepting people who are just like us really doesn't benefit us. Because we, we, when we do that... You know, we're, we're just feeling better about who we already are. What's incredible about the church that Jesus has started, which is, you know, all Bible-believing churches, is that we're a family expecting guests. And so we always have this open seat that says, Come on, sit by me. Be here with me. And I thought about that when I went to Romans chapter 15. And for those of you who are online, I don't think that the scripture is available for you on the screen. So you're going to have to get out something called the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. And you'll have to find the scripture or you can use your phone or whatever if if that's available. You may be watching this service on phone. But for those who are physically here, you you still have the screen. So there are advantages to coming to church. Romans 15, 5, it's one of many scriptures in the New Testament that calls people together and calls people into unity and calls people into friendship. Now, may the God... Who gives us endurance and encouragement. This is verse 5. Grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Verse 7. Therefore, welcome, accept one another just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. Accept one another. You know, one of the reasons that the Apostle Paul had to remind people to accept one another is there was obviously some form of rejection happening. And there was this idea of, of rejecting people. In the New Testament, when this was written, it was written to a pluralistic society, people from different tribes and nations and ethnicities and languages, and different religious backgrounds all coming together under the name of Jesus. So here's what I want to talk about today. This is what I want to emphasize. The title of my message is this. The anointing, unity brings the anointing. Unity brings the anointing. And I want this principle to be in your heart and in your life after today. That if we want the anointing of the Holy Spirit... One of the things the Holy Spirit is looking for, and the Holy Spirit feels at home when people are in unity. And so that's the premise of what we're going to talk about today. A few things that I've said the last three weeks deserve to be repeated. Unity is not necessarily uniformity. And I know this, is that you and I are not going to agree upon everything. There is no way that you will ever agree with another human being 100%. And if you don't believe me, there is something called marriage that proves that. (laughs) But even with someone that you're in covenant with like that and you're with all the time, you don't agree upon everything. There are no human beings, no two human beings who will always agree upon everything. So you decide ahead of time unity is not uniformity we're going to think differently we're going to see the world differently we're not going to have the same perspectives we're going to disagree we're going to take secondary issues as the church the primary issues you know we are we are in intellectual agreement upon those but the secondary issues we'll have different opinions based off our perspective, our world experience, our understanding of the time, even our interpretation of scripture on some secondary issues, things will be different. But here's the truth of human nature. Human human beings, women and men, boys and children, grandparents, we love conflict. It feels powerful. Conflict is interesting. (laughs) It kind of makes life interesting when you find out where conflict is. And it gives us something to talk about. It taps into emotions we don't normally have. Mankind loves conflict, but God loves unity. At the end of this service, we'll likely pray a prayer that talks about the unity of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the essence, the existence of God is a demonstration of unity. So... When we're God-like, we're moving towards more unity. And isn't it interesting that even in the Trinity, there's distinctives in the unity. So your personality is different. Your perspective is different. Your reasoning ability is different. Yet we're united in God and we're united in Christ. By the way, last week, I'm so sorry we canceled service. I despise canceling in-person service. But... That parking lot was horrible. I mean, it, it, I kept coming up here, and it, it, there was no improvement on it. Uh, this weekend, they were talking about, well, we could have floods. And for those of us who lived in Middle Tennessee in 2010, that's a very scary thing. We, we take it very seriously, but three to four inches isn't going to flood uh, primary uh, waterways. So thank God for that. We do have a system of levees and a system of dams that control the water flow. And, and so that got overtaken in 2010. But we know this is that when water goes the same direction, it is extremely powerful. When water is all moving the same direction, there is extreme power. In fact, our power grid uses the levees and the dams to control the water and to control power. And this is my first point today. Unity creates power. Now, I want you to see this not just for a church family, even though I'm going to keep referencing our church family, but it's for your family, it's for your friendship, it's for your business, it's for the choir you sing in, it's for the sports team you play on, it's for the shift that you're part of and that team that works that particular shift. This applies to every principle in life, that when we are united, we are more powerful. Unity creates power because everyone is moving in the same direction. And when everyone moves in the same direction, the flow of momentum creates power. We know this, that that power is something that's not even... uh, mystical in some definitions. Power is actually a, a definition in physics. It's a, it's a physical reality that when momentum goes the same direction, there's great power. And guys, this is the case in your family. This is the case in your marriage. This is the case with your friendships and your relationships. Every single thing you're a part of, unity creates power. Our ancestors encountered this way back at the beginning of the Bible, And I want to show you something that's quite remarkable. It it shows us from Scripture, and you're going to agree with this from just watching life, that unity is powerful, but that power is sometimes used for negative things. So it's not always a good power. It can be a negative power. So our ancestors decided to build a city and to build a tower into heaven. Let's, Let's go to Genesis chapter 11 so you can see this. Here's a powerful statement. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. I want you to think about that for a second. Everyone spoke the same language. There was no confusion. They had the same vocabulary. We know in the business world that when everyone is saying the same words and saying the same language, there is an alignment, often a vision. There's an alignment of of purpose and mission for that organization. So here, our ancestors, they spoke the same language. Language in the same vocabulary. And going on, let's go, if we can, just for the sake of time. Uh, let, let's go to, to ver- well, that's just going to confuse things. Let's go on to verse 2. Sorry about that. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. So we see this is a technology Uh, a sophistication. Every time there's new technology, there's new opportunity. And so this was new technology in in these thousands of years ago when this occurred. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And verse 4, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. I want you to see that key phrase there. They didn't say, let's build something for God. Let's build ourselves a city. And the tower with its top into the sky, let us make a name for ourselves. Not a name for God, but a name for ourselves so you see the pride. We will name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. And then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. Now, here's a remarkable scripture, verse 6. I hope you don't ever forget this because this is the power of when humans come together. The Lord said... If they had begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now th- this is this is a powerful statement. That means when human beings get in unity, even if it's a bad purpose, it's powerful. And you can you can think about that. In modern-day contemporary terms, you can look at, it, look at this through history. That even when things are negative and bad, when people get on the same page, it's powerful. Now, God says, well, who can stop them? Well, the answer is no human can stop them, but he can stop them because that's what he did. Uh, in verse 7, he said, come, let's, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there the Lord scattered them, and throughout the earth... And they, they stopped building the city, and therefore it is called Babylon, for there the Lord Yahweh, L-O-R-D, Yahweh, confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord Yahweh scattered them throughout the earth. So this is when people had selfish intent, not including God, and so God stopped them by scattering them. But then the Holy Spirit was given. And here's what's awesome about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reversed what happened in Genesis chapter 11. And we find that in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, it says, says it this way, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a a fire. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues. Now that's an old word. When the King James interpreted that word, it said tongues. Because you would say the French tongue, the English tongue, the German tongue. But he's saying they they interpreted in different languages as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5. Now, there were Jews saying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when the when sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in their own language. And they were astounded and amazed saying, look, aren't all who are speaking Galileans? And then they begin to list in verse, verse 9 all of the different languages, you know, all the different languages that people spoke. Now... Going down to verse 11, we heard in our own language, heard them speaking, the magnif- declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. This was a reversal of what happened in Babel. When the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't bring confusion, he brings clarity. The Holy Spirit now brings one language. The Holy Spirit changes the way we hear the sermon. The Holy Spirit changes the way we hear the offering appeal. I, I know this is that like every, every week when I encourage people to give to the Lord, there's always a potential it's going to offend someone because sometimes people uh, can't hear what God is saying about the subject of money. They just can't hear it. But then the Holy Spirit changes their heart and they hear the same words in a different way. I've had people sit here and sleep through my sermons, you know. I, I just sleep through my sermons and, and not even try to hide it, man. I mean, everyone, everyone nods off every once in a while. That's why I throw a story to you here and there. Everyone nods off. But just like, I'm, I'm just out, you know. I'm just, just putting my head back and I'm out. I, and so there, there's just, just no interest. But when the Holy Spirit gets our ears and when we've had a good night of sleep before, the same message we hear differently. Because the Holy Spirit brings clarity and he doesn't scatter people, he brings people together. He brings unity to the body. So when I was early on in ministry, I moved from, the, from Kansas to Nashville and I was a single pastor. And the church in Kansas, I enjoyed ministering there, but the Lord brought me to the promised land, Nashville, Tennessee, hallelujah, and... Great was my reward, and someone named Beth Hall, and so I got engaged to her, so praise God for that. Uh, That was 23 years ago, Um, but I decided I wanted to take Beth back to Kansas with me for a couple of reasons. I wanted her to see the church that I ministered at, and I wanted her to sing at that church, and also because we were, I can't say we were poor because we're always rich in Christ, but because we were lacking money. I knew if I went back and preached at that church that they would take up an offering for me. And so I, I literally preached for my honeymoon, guys. I preached, and they took up an offering, and we had honeymoon money. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? So at this church service, I was, I was telling her, you know, you're going to love this church. It's a great church. It was a smaller church, but there, it, was, it was a nice-sized church for that, that country town. And, and there was a lot of activity in life there. When we went there, it just the service felt kind of odd, and you know I, I was going for it. I was preaching with all my heart, going for it, I was excited to be there. So at the end, we came to ministry time where we started praying, declaring god 's word in a unique way, declaring god 's word in a way that would that would you know touch people 's hearts, and I felt led to call my friend, the senior pastor, up to pray for him. so I called pastor up and i said i 'm going to pray for you." And then I called the two associate pastors, who I knew. I called them by name and said, I want you to come, and I want you to link your arms with our pastor. So he was standing here like this, and one was on each arm. And I started praying, and I started praying down the fire of God and just, just asking God to touch them. And it was like my words were hitting a wall. Boom, boom. I mean, it was just hitting a wall. You know, and I, I was going for it, you know. And It just, it just, it just didn't meet my expectations. But the, the church did bless me. And we were able to go on a honeymoon. So praise God. It worked out. There was some good there. So a few months later, I ran into that pastor at a conference of the fellowship of churches we were part of. Because back in those days, you know, long distance costs money and you didn't text. And so you just ran into people somewhere down the road. I ran into him and he was running a product booth. I'm like, what are you running a product booth for? And he said, you didn't hear what happened? I said, no. He said, Aaron, the two associate pastors... And the, they, they were undermining me, working with the board, and I got fired. I was like, are you kidding me? And we talked about that night. And I'm like, remember I was praying for you guys, and, and, and it just wasn't going anywhere? And he said, yeah, we were right in the middle of that strife at the moment. Well, the Lord worked it out, and, and, and that man ended, ended up having a very successful uh, ministry career. And, and God prospered him at his next church. But I say all of that is that, that you can sometimes feel, not all the times because we miss this sometimes, but often you can feel disunity in the air. So you can go to a gathering of Christians or you can go, let's say, you know, I think in church terms, but you can walk into a business and you can just feel the employees, their heart is not behind their work. They're just not into it. You can go into a school and you can just see the teachers, and I love you teachers, I'm not picking on you, I'm just trying to grab an illustration from the air here. Uh, You can hear the teachers kind of talking over in the corner and you can just kind of feel that they're, they're maybe complaining about the school or complaining about the principals. You can just almost feel, I can almost see it across the room. You can go to a church that has all of the elements you would want in a church, great music, great building you know, engaging preaching, great children's ministry, but just something doesn't feel right. Often, that is a spirit of disunity that the Holy Spirit can make you aware of. Because the premise of this message today, and what I want you to remember in the days to come, the Holy Spirit is at home where there is unity. And where there is disunity, the Holy Spirit is grieved. And that's why we have to be so careful. Here's my second point. It kind of mirrors the title of the sermon. Unity welcomes the anointing. And when people are on the same page, the anointing is present. That's why Satan hates unity. That's why Satan wants to stir up disunity in our families. He wants to divide marriages. He wants to divide parents from their fathers. He wants to divide, divide uh, excuse me, children from their fathers. He wants to divide daughters from their mothers. He wants to have grandparents be isolated from grandchildren. And I'm not talking about when, when, a, when there, there, are, there are reasons that needs to occur. And So you understand those conditions. But I'm talking about when it's just the enemy stirring up strife. The enemy loves disunity because he knows this is when your family gets on the same page and when your business gets on the same page and when the school gets on the same page and when the church gets on the same page, then there's a power that even the world recognizes and it was even present at the Tower of Babel. And so it is now we in the era of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit doesn't just dwell you know, in the in the, in the, uh, tabernacle or the temple or the Holy of Holies, the Holy Spirit dwells with us. We are aware of the Holy Spirit more when we are in unity. So let me talk about that word anointing because I, I've done a lot of teaching on anointing before. I've done a whole series on the anointing before, but I can save you some time right now. Let me tell you what the anointing is. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. So we can just save you some time right there. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. When we have the Holy Spirit, we have the anointing, and Jesus is the anointing, and we have all the essence of God. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament, uh, they used to anoint everything with oil, and, and we do the same today, according to the book of James, and we anoint things with oil as a prayer of faith. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. And so when the Jewish people set up their places of worship, they took oil and they put it on all of the artifacts— they put it on the tabernacle, they put it on the temple post, they put it on all the different artifacts to say this is holy. It'd be like if, if we would put anointing oil on this table and say this is holy, this book is holy, this cup is holy. These things are set apart for worship. They're set apart for special, a special connection with God. You know, they're not, they're not just something ordinary, they're holy. They're sanctified. Here's an example of it. Leviticus chapter 8, starting with verse 10. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle. This is Leviticus chapter 8 for my online friends, verse 10. And everything in it, and here's an important word to consecrate them, to set them apart, to say, This tent, this tabernacle is holy. And and later on, Solomon and the priest under Solomon said, This temple is holy. And, and this altar is holy. And so he, he would do that. Verse 11, he sprinkled some, uh, some oil on the altar seven times. So, saying the altar is really special. Anointing the altar with all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. Now, look at verse 12. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed and consecrated him. So, Aaron was the priest. And from Aaron, all Levi descendants were able to be part of the priesthood. So notice this, is that they anointed all of the artifacts. They anointed seven times the altar. Then they took the priest and they took the oil and they just poured it over his head. And they poured the whole thing. I mean, we we get a little uncomfortable when we anoint people with oil. We'll, We'll put like a little cross on their head. And it's like, wow, that feels really weird to have a little oil on my forehead. Think about if I said, no, I'm taking, I'm taking a bucket of oil and we're pouring it over you. Welcome to the ministry. You now have an oily head. We're going to pour the oil over you. Now, I wanted you to read that scripture and be aware of that word picture because now we're going to go to an important song that the people sang. The people knew about Leviticus 8, verse 10 through 12, but they would sing a song that we find in Psalm 133, verse 1 through 3. How good and pleasant it is. Did you guys think I was going to sing that? <laughs> no way. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. How many of you know that say that is true? It's just a good thing when people get along. It's a good thing when brothers and sisters get along. Now, here's the word picture the psalmist sang. It's like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. He's talking about there on the mountain of Zion, the Lord has appointed a blessing. But I think it, we could also say there at the place of unity, the Lord has said, I will bless those people who are united. Now, look at verse 2 again. This is the word picture connected to Leviticus chapter 8, 10 through 12. The oil running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. Now, I've wondered today if this is a prophetic word for my life, because if you don't know me, two weeks ago, I had a beautiful beard, and then in the ice storm, I decided to shave. I think I look pretty good, but that doesn't really matter, because my wife prefers the beard, so I'm just kind of, you know happy life, happy wife, you know that whole thing. And, and so what am I going to do? This is prophetic. The oil on Aaron's beard brings the unity to the body. So I don't know if that's for, for, for me or not. I don't know. I'm just going to have to think through that. But the point I'm trying to make is this. The Holy Spirit marked the tabernacle with anointing oil and marked Aaron's priesthood by pouring oil over him. And now Psalms 133 says, it is good and fitting when brothers dwell together in unity because it's like when Aaron was anointed. It's like the Mount of Zion. I'm going to tell you guys it's a good thing when we care about unity. It doesn't mean we're going to think the same about every issue. But it means we're going to have the same heart for Jesus. And we're going to want to find common ground on the things that really matter. We're going to agree that we're not always going to agree but we've agreed to be agreeable and we're not going to let different opinions on secondary issues keep us from loving our brothers and sisters keep us from engaging in our small group keeping us from having coffee or lunch with that person listen if someone gets on your nerves then it probably is a way for you to grow By finding out a way to connect with them. Because God wants to see his sons and daughters come together in unity. I want to tell a little story about my family, the Allisons. Which is is kind of tough to tell the story because I've got a bunch of several Allisons that go to church here. And there's a few of them that are in this service right now. But here we go anyway. So we have a family characteristic, the Allisons. And my mom has it, my sister has it, my brother has it, I have it, and two of my three kids have it. Not all three of them, so you'll have to guess who those two are. And here is the, here's the characteristic. We are overly concerned, obsessively concerned with what people in the service industry think about us. Now, how many know it's a good thing to want to be nice to your waiter and waitress and it's a good thing to be nice to the people that we buy products from. I mean that that is a Jesus thing to do. But we take it way too far. Like let's say I'm at a hotel and the bed is broken and my kids are sleeping on a broken bed, I'm like, hey it's no big deal. We'll just sleep on the broken bed. It's just my it's just my child's back. It's no big deal. Because because you seem like a nice person and I, I want you to think I'm nice, so I'm not gonna ask for a new room. It's just kind of weird if food comes to the table and it's cold, and it's not cooked, and like there's a great risk of salmonella. Here we're like, that's not. I don't care if I'm sick for the next week because I don't want them to think I'm a bad person and actually send the food back. Um, If if we get an extra twenty dollars, if they don't give us twenty dollars back in change instead of saying, "Hey, you owe me twenty bucks," we're like, I don't want to bother them because if I ask for my twenty dollars back, they may think that I'm rude. And, and somehow this person I'll never see again, and they don't even really know who I am, will think that I'm rude. If we send our car to the mechanic, and the mechanic forgets to put oil back in the engine, and the engine blows, it's like, hey, it's just twenty or $30,000. It's no big deal. Why, why bother why, why bother the engine? So now I've gotten free of this somewhat. I've gotten free of this. But I've talked to, you know, the spouses of my two siblings, and all three of our spouses agree that we just take this thing way too far. And, and when, I, when I thought it was just my nuclear family that I grew up or my family of origin, now again, I'm seeing this in two of my three kids. And I'm like, okay, guys, it's okay. It's okay to be assertive when, when you need to correct something. Don't be rude and be Christ-like with it. So that's just a family characteristic. Families are funny. So we have characteristics, and obviously that characteristic has served us well, because people say all the time, oh man, your, your mom is so nice, and your brother is so nice, and your sister is so nice, and you guys are so nice. I'm like, yeah, we've lost a bunch of money being nice. <laughs> we have. But yeah, we, we, are, we still are nice people. But that's just a family characteristic. Here, here's my third point today, my last point. Unity is a family characteristic of the family of God. Unity is a family characteristic of the family of God. If you are a daughter of God through Jesus Christ, if you are a son of God through Jesus Christ, we should pursue peace and unity. The teachings of Jesus are the most overlooked teachings in Christendom. It's amazing how, like, we overlook what Jesus Christ taught himself. You know, thinking about that era of, of my, of preaching early on when, when, when I was engaged to Beth, you know, I was like a little young preaching protege back then. And I would, I mean, I was, I was, I would preach a lot at churches and places and, 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 and people liked it when I just worked up the crowd. In fact, I remember when I was 18 or 19, I was preaching at a church, and I was wa- I was walking on stage, and one of the ushers said, "Aaron, sick him." I said, "What?" He said, "Sick him tonight." I'm like, what does that mean? You know, it's like he's like, "No, get him," you know. And so, here here's to, to to my disgrace, really, or to my immaturity. There there was some times in my life when I was a much better preacher than I was a Christian. And, and I was much better at speaking than I was living out the teachings of Jesus. And so I, I just want to point that out in my life. And I will add to that now to let you know that I'm not judging Christians in America before I judge myself. I judge myself. But something I said two weeks ago, but I want to say it again. My biggest surprise in the year 2020 and the, and the year 2021 is what little regard Christians in America have given to the Beatitudes which are the teachings of Jesus within the Sermon on the Mount within the book of Matthew which are some of the greatest words ever given and one of the teachings of Jesus is this Matthew 5 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called daughters of God Hey, just like my family of origin, we have characteristics that have really, really served us well. Being nice to customer service people served us well. That's what the Allisons are like. Let me tell you what God's sons and daughters are like. Wherever they go, there's peace. They end the argument. They don't crank up the argument. Sons and daughters of God bring fitting words to settle people's hearts. I was talking about this. It was like this little interview I was part of a few days ago. And I, I said those very words. And my, my, my dear friend was interviewing me. And he said, now, let me just get this right. We still need to stand up for our rights. And I just said, all I'm saying is I'm trying to live for Jesus and live his teachings more. And I figured that if, if I live out the teachings of Jesus, he's going he's gonna to take care of my rights. He's going to take care of me. That's my perspective these days. And this is what I want to see in our church. I want to see a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? The Holy Spirit is the anointing. Some, of, some people are going to come to the service who've been sick a long time. I want them to meet a Jesus who can do for them what doctors can't do. I love doctors. I love those of you in the medical profession. But how many know that sometimes Jesus has to do for people, the Holy Spirit has to do for people, something the medical community is not able to? I know that there's people in this room watching online right now that are bound by depression and anxiety. And it's not the physical type because there is a physical type, but it's a spiritual oppression And the Lord will have to make make known to you the difference because there is a difference. I want to see healing from those chains. God is real among them because the presence of the Lord breaks down every carefully crafted defense and argument. This is the Holy Spirit's anointing. And friends, it will not happen if we don't love unity. If we love strife, if we love disagreement, then that unity won't occur. Well, how do you stay in unity? It's pretty simple if you want, if you wanted to uh, look at the New Testament. You either have a really tough conversation with someone or you get over it. <laughs> That's what you do. My life, my calling as a pastor is one continual, crucial conversation with sleep in between. And that's okay. That's what I'm called to do. I don't feel sorry for me. I'm, I'm very blessed in this position. But I... If I have a problem with you, I, you know, I, I'm going to make this commitment to all my heart. I, I, I never, with the Lord's help, I never do what I call passive preaching. I don't deal with issues... Through my sermon. If, if, I, if I have any issue with someone in this church, with the Lord's help, I'm going to either get over it or go directly to them. And if you do the same, we'll be in unity. And guess what? If you have an issue with me, and you come to me, you may help me. You may help me. Because the pastor is not always right. you know what will happen if you have an issue with me and you come with, come to me? In the end, we'll be better friends. We'll be better friends. This is when we love unity. When we love unity, we either deal with it or we get over with, we get over it. And here, here's the deal. This sermon reminds you, it is really not about you and your preference. Because the love for unity in the body makes a difference in the Holy Spirit's activity. And so for that reason, we should care greatly about that. Let me, let me share Matthew 5, 9 in the message. It says it this way. This is a modern interpretation of the original Greek. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place and God's family. That's what we're going to discover today. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we prepare to respond to this message, some through communion, some through contemplation, some through marking Matthew 5, 9 and putting that date on that scripture, some through just quietly sitting or praying with someone they love. But Lord, we're committed to the unity of the body, and we thank you for helping us, with that, we thank you for helping us with that. And God, you know, one thing I just want to say to some of you, to somebody watching right now, someone listening, don't be too hard on yourself if you look back and you say, "Man, I I, I contributed to disunity. I contributed to strife." Guys, we can't change our past. We can just move forward in our future. And I just want to say this: through the power of Jesus and through the Word of God, that is over that is over. It's a new day for you. Starting right now, it's a new day. You are a peacemaker. You are a consensus builder. You are one who has crucial conversations to solve a problem, or you are one who releases things to the Lord that you're not to get involved in. That's who you are. You're a daughter. You're a son. We are peacemakers in Jesus, and we're going to see God's anointing come and make a true difference in our world. So, Father, we commit these elements to you, those things that have been gathered at homes, those packets people have grabbed uh, as they came in today. There's packets I know people have grabbed to take communion. And, Lord, this, these elements that Pastor Chip and I, and I will disperse, Lord, we dedicate those to you, consecrating them, believing that your presence is in this symbolic act. So may it be done. By your power and your presence. I'm going to pray this prayer to our triune God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, in, is always in unity. So we're going to pray a prayer of confession. And um, if you want to look on the screen, I know that if you're watching online, you may not be able to see the screen. I don't know if they fixed that or not, but often Pastor Deborah puts it in the Facebook live comments. But here's a prayer that reminds us of the unity that's in the Trinity and the unity that we will emulate as a fellowship of different people. Let's pray it now. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me in all of the world.